Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, we're going to read this morning. It is a privilege being here. Uh, this is my third time. By the way, Matt says he's my dear friend and he knows me well, but I have four children. I have five children and not three more, so I have four more that aren't here. That's okay, buddy. <laughs> um, if you're a title taker, my title this morning is Teach Us to Pray. And uh, before I do, before we jump into the text, a couple months ago, I've been praying, me and my family, for six years. We lived in our, the same neighborhood for six years, and we pray regularly, almost daily, for our neighbors. And we've invited a certain neighbor and his wife and their little children to many events at our church to which they declined graciously and we knew they were unchurched and uh, a couple months ago on a very warm day in Vancouver all of the neighbors come out to the street and my neighbor's wife Siobhan informed my wife that they were going to start to attend our church and uh, my wife's jaw dropped, and she was very concerned that a very unchurched person was going to come to our very churched, charismatic church, and we were going to blow them away, and they would never come back again. Thus, the reason why I was thinking if you could come to a few different events, we could warm you up a little bit, and go out for coffee with you, do a movie or something, and then come to church, it might not be so difficult. Well, it was very interesting that the Sunday they arrived, I'm still, I'm still very nervous, very concerned. And um, I felt a little bit like the story in the book of Acts where Peter uh, is led out of prison by the angel and he's knocking on the door and the, the young lady comes to the door and she sees this Peter and she runs back, she leaves the door locked and tells everybody Peter's at the door and they're like, you're out of your mind. There's no way Peter's at the door, it's his ghost or something. And this is literally what was going on in my heart. Now they're, they, they want to come to church, and I don't really believe, after praying for six years, I don't really believe that they're coming to church or that God could save them this way because I wanted to do it a specific way that I thought we could be a little more seeker-sensitive and get them in the door that way. Now, I'm not about seeker-sensitive, but, but there was just a desire to, to make sure that we covered all the the necessary things and so he comes to week one and they look like deer in headlights and I have a little conversation with him after and is this all foreign to you and no when I was 18 years old a, a lady gave me a bible and she gave me this bible and she said I'm going to pray for you for the rest of your life until you come to know Jesus and I had gone into a, a, an alliance church a couple times with a buddy of mine that was it and, and his wife, had, as a teenager, had gone into a, a, a Pentecostal church, an assemblies church, a couple times. And so they, they come back a second Sunday. And, uh, I mean, everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong. I mean, to, uh, our, our senior pastor, the first Sunday, told us that we were all dung heaps. <laughs> That's not a helpful thing to, to say to people who run church. Um, the second, it was, it was a Charles Spurgeon quote that he called us dung heaps. And then the second Sunday, 
he went off and did like a five-minute thing on slavery out of one of the one of the epistles, but he didn't even complete the the thought, and he left everybody thinking that slavery was good, and that we should still be doing it. I mean, it was just like whoa! And and for the first time, I'm sitting beside them in church and thinking like an unchurched, and going, oh my goodness, there's no way these people are coming back. Well, week three was just about as bad. We did more charismatic stuff than we've ever done. People are lining up at the prophecy mic. There's, there's people falling. No, people are not falling. But it, it, it was just this amazing service. And then I, I'm thinking, wow, three times and they're still coming. Maybe there's some, maybe God's at work and, and maybe God's going to say, maybe God's going to save them, not Pat's Bell way, but the way he wants to do it. And so I emailed him because I thought to my wife, let's have them over um, and, and, and there's a care group coming to our house on Wednesday. Let's see if they would come to our care group. So I typed the email and I said, Steve, would you guys want to come to this care group meeting? It's kind of more of what you've been seeing on Sundays. We pray and we sing and we're like six feet across from each other and we could smell each other's breath. We're this little circle and we sing and we stand up and we raise our hands. Are you okay with that? Would you want to come? So he comes, and his wife had something else going on. She cancels it to come to the meeting. We're in this meeting, and it's, it's awkward. I mean, the care group leader prays for like 10 minutes, and I'm like, surely this is it. It's over. They're never coming back after this. And, and um, at the end of this meeting, they go home, and I'm just, I'm sick, but I'm still praying. I'm saying, Lord, obviously you know. And on Friday afternoon, two days later, I get this email from my neighbor. He says, Pat, I just have to get this out. I'm bursting with joy and love. God's love. It must be. Tears of joy streaming down my cheeks right now. It's like a contagion of happiness that I cannot contain. First, I sense something working in me last week. It's kind of ebbed and flowed a bit. But since we met at your house on Wednesday in that crazy charismatic care group meeting, everything changed that evening. The love in my heart that would be getting stronger and stronger. He says, a week like I've had would normally put me into a pit of despair. But wow, this is really cool. I'm so thankful. I look forward to the journey I have ahead of me and he says, I'm really looking forward to church this Sunday and having lunch with you and your family. And he concludes with saying, I love God and I love Jesus and I thank Him for bringing me to this place. When it comes to praying, so often there are so many anxieties and worries that surround me when it comes to prayer. I find sometimes I'm condemned when I'm not praying enough and when I'm and I'm depressed when I'm praying but I don't think I'm praying as I should be praying and I'm wondering if God is ever listening to me or hearing me. Well, what's encouraging to me from this text this this morning is that the disciples, and one disciple specifically asked Jesus, would you teach us to pray? But I think the disciples are experiencing a little bit of what I experience often 
in my prayer life. There, there's all kinds of questions around this area of just kind of walking around and talking words into the air with, with no tangible before us presence where we can say, we can look at him in his eyes and say, hey, what do you think about this? And so, in our text this morning, one of the disciples, after watching Jesus, I'm sure many times, asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. So let's read the text together. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because... He is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Lord, this morning I need Your help. There's never a moment in a day where we don't need Your help. Freshly aware this morning of how much I need You and how much these people need You. When it comes to praying, we desperately need You and we're right there with Your disciples this morning saying, Lord, would You teach us to pray? And so we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that You would awaken our hearts and that You would illumine our minds, and that You would magnify Jesus Christ this morning. What a privilege to gather like this and to hear Your Word preached. And so may it fall on good ground, and may it bring forth much fruit to the praise of Your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, i got six truths to remember when we go to God in prayer this morning. We're going to look at six specific truths. And so uh, I'm going to be pretty quick on a lot of them, but one I'm going to linger on. So if I if there's one where I'm just lingering a long time and you're thinking, oh Lord, we're never going to get out of here. Uh, we're going to only linger on one point, okay? One truth. 
we're going to move fairly quickly. Now listen, our text, there's six truths, and it begins, Jesus says in verse 2, when you pray, say. When you pray, say, Father. Now, it's very important for us to know one thing here, that Jesus isn't saying, when you pray, you need to pray specifically these words. And the reason why we know that is because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, pray then like this. So what he's doing, he's not saying specifically you need to say the Lord's Prayer every time you pray, but rather he's giving us categories. He's giving us, he's framing in truths that are important that we should think about when we come to God in prayer. Okay? So when you pray, say, Father. It begins our first truth that we're going to look at this morning. The first of the six important truths is that God is our Father. God is is our Father. Now, let that sink in for one minute this morning. God is our Father. He's not everyone's Father. God is our Father because of Jesus. God is our Father because of Jesus' work on our behalf. When you pray, say, Father. My neighbor, he came to me a week later. He couldn't sleep. He'd been up all night, and he was having visions. <laughs> One week of being saved, he's having visions. And... <clears throat> He'd been committing a specific sin for years and years and years. And it, it wasn't like the, the priest thing, I need to get with you and confess. The Lord was showing him that he needed brothers to confess the sin and to help him as he went forward in his walk with God. And so he asked if he could get with me and another guy he met in the church. And he, he saw in his dream one more person. <laughs> so we pull three guys in and we get with him. He comes to the church office. He sits down and he's across from me and he, he says, before I, I share this, he said, could we pray? I said, absolutely, Steve, we could pray. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't know how to pray, so I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeded to say, that wasn't very helpful. <laughs> so he says, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray. And we had a wonderful time right there to be able to say, hey, buddy, you know what, like, he's got two kids. He's got twins, Ethan and Annie. And I said, when Ethan or Annie comes to you, Steve, and they just kind of, do you think they Google before they come and have a conversation with you? He said, that's just absolutely crazy. I said, Steve, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, he's your father. Think about how Ethan comes to you as your dad. And it was mind-boggling for a minute, and then he got it. He says, that's cool, I could do that. See, for us to understand this when we come to him, when we've had a bad day or an ugly day or a really good day, nothing changes there. He is our Father. The Father's love comes to us through Jesus Christ. 
just like the rays of sun that, is, that I was experiencing yesterday. See, when I go home, it's uh, 40 days at least of solid rain and snow. I think that's what we'll probably be predicting. It's raining right now, and it's in the 40s, and, and that's typically what we get all, all winter long. April, the sun comes out. Yesterday, when that sun was coming down and beating on my face, oh, it was wonderful. But if, if I wanted to, like, get to the sun and touch the sun, I could not touch that sun. That's, there's, we can't even get anywhere near it. But we're experiencing the, the sun through the rays of the sun. Well, Jesus Christ is the beams of the Father's love. It's through Christ that the Father has reached down and He's touched us. And now we see the glory and the goodness and the mercy of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so now we come to God as our Father. Oh, this is wonderful. And J.I. Packer, I love he says this, as God's adopted children, we are loved no less than the one in whom God calls His beloved Son. Can you imagine that? When we pray, we need to pray beginning with, Father, you're my Father because of Jesus Christ, and I'm loved no less than the one you call your beloved Son. The second truth that we see in this text is not only is He our Father, God is our Father, but God is holy. God is holy. And so verse 2, we, we see, He says, pray, Father, Hallowed be your name. Or we want to acknowledge and treat your name as holy. So notice the, the progression here. We're starting in prayer and we're not jumping into prayer with, Oh God, we really need some money so that we can do those repairs on our car. Oh God, this child of mine, if you don't do something, I'm going to kill myself. No, you might not be that that devastated. But we we... we, we isn't much of our prayer, we just we jump in and what are we doing right off the bat? Prayer is beginning with us. And oh, we need help. You've got to fix it. You've got to change this. You've got to do that. When you come and when you pray, say, Father, because of Jesus, you're my Father. And because of Jesus, I see how great and how glorious you are. And I desire more than anything else that your name would be hallowed. That it would be treated as holy. We know His nearness as our Father, but notice that He's not just like our earthly fathers. He's our heavenly Father. And so there's this, there's this nearness through Jesus Christ, and yet there's this constant awareness of His transcendence and His greatness and His glory. And we see that, and we want nothing else but His name to be treated in my personal life, in my family life, in my work life, in my church life. I want His name to be treated as holy. I want to hallowed His name. One man says, we, we desire God to be known as God. I think in our culture there's too many people that don't know God as God. There's too many people in churches that, are, that can be playing church and not living their lives as, as before the face of God. The, the call for us is to come to Him as our Father, but He's our Heavenly Father, and we want His name to be hallowed. And then thirdly, we see 
we see that God is king. God is our Father. God is holy. God is king. And in verse 2 as well, we see, let your kingdom come. As our king, we're asking, we're praying, we're saying, let your divine rule and your reign come. Let it come into our lives personally. Let it come into our church. Let it come into our neighborhood. Let it come into our city. Let it come into our nation. We want your rule and your reign to come. Now, if I don't know Him as my Father through Jesus Christ, and I don't see Him in all His glory, and I don't behold Him in the face of Jesus Christ, I will never want to hallow His name or to see His kingdom come. But as I behold Him and as I see Him, there's a shift from the desire for me to respect and hold my name up and my reputation. There's a, there's a shift from the desire for me to be king and me to be boss and me to have my own desires and my own will and my own way, shifting to all of a sudden wanting His rule and His reign to be in my life. We, we pray, we begin with God when we pray and we say, Father, You are holy and Your name is to be hallowed. You are king and Your kingdom is to come. So would You do that in us? Now, there's a shift in the next part of this prayer that that shifts away from God and now it's shifting to us. And my fourth truth when we come to Him in prayer is this, that we're needy and dependent. We're needy and dependent. See, for this to happen, for, for us to actually uh, know Him as our Father and desire His name to be hallowed in His kingdom to come, we need something from Him, don't we? we? We can't do this apart from His help. And so we see really clearly in these next verses, 3 to 4, we see God's provision, we see God's pardon, and we see God's protection. And what, what Jesus was telling His disciples is when you pray... You, you say, Father, and you recognize that my name is to be hallowed and my kingdom is to come, but those things cannot happen apart from me giving you a provision and pardon and protection. And so this is just important for us to pray these things as it is to pray for His name to be hallowed in His kingdom to come. And so He begins in verse 3 by saying, Give us this day our daily bread. I love what this speaks to. It's a, it, this is what he's saying here. He's saying, give us all that we need in the physical sense one day at a time and teach us to enjoy it but never more than you. Give us all that we need in the physical sense one day at a time and teach us to enjoy it but never more than you. Wouldn't it be nice if tonight, as you're, this afternoon, as you're watching football, all of a sudden, does anybody watch football here? Took a shot in the dark. You're laying on your couch, and the Lord appears in your room and unveils the next 20 years for you. 
I mean, right down to the details. And it's, it's all like a graph, and it just kind of keeps doing this, ascending. So you're going to have a lot more money in 20 years, a lot more children. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're going to have uh, a, a far better job, a nicer house. All of your kids are going to be radically serving Jesus. I mean, would, would anybody like that? Please put up your hand if you would. Oh, come on. <laughs> Don't get all religious on me now. In our heart of hearts, we struggle with this. Give us all that we need in the physical sense one day at a time. You've you got to admit, you struggle there. Jesus is like writing entire sections in the New Testament telling you don't worry. And he's taking care of flowers and grass and things like that. And he knows when sparrows fall, he knows how much hair you got on your head, and some very little. But he, if that's the reality, then, then he's very aware. And so this, but this is, when we're praying, we're saying, Lord, would you give us provision? We're, we're not praying, Lord, would you lay it all out for the next 20 years? We're saying, Lord, would you give us enough today? And when, when we hold that in our hand, we would say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. God has provided yet again. Oh, we should sit around our tables and we should pick up that piece of bread and that piece of meat and those potatoes and we should say, Lord, thank you for your provision. Because you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of if I don't eat, I don't exist. I don't live apart from you providing for me every day, and because you've provided for me every day, now I can move forward in advancing and hallowing your name and seeing your kingdom come. And then give us pardon. Verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We need to acknowledge every day that we're unworthy sinners before a holy God. Just as we ask for daily provision, we should be asking for daily pardon. Confession of sin is part of our ongoing relationship with God, isn't it? And notice he doesn't end with us asking the Lord to forgive us our sins, but he moves on and he tells us that we should forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. One of the strongest proofs that we've been forgiven much by our Heavenly Father is our own commitment to forgiving one another. I love what Philip Graham Riken says. He says, by forgiving our debtors, therefore, we show our family resemblance to our Father in Heaven. Oh, I love that. We show our family resemblance to our Father in Heaven when we forgive others. And then he prays for protection in verse 4 and lead us not into temptation. Sometimes we enjoy being tempted. Does anybody here? You don't have to put up your hand, but you would. You should all. We enjoy being tempted at times, almost as much as we like giving in to temptation. Often we're not fleeing from it, but we're fleeing to it. There's a Jaguar commercial, an automobile brochure. And on this automobile brochure, it lists 
seven deadly sins. Lust, greed, pride, sloth, envy, wrath, and gluttony. And then this brochure writes, prepare to shift effortlessly from temptation to exhilaration. The all-new XJ8L. Where will it lead you? Can you resist? When it comes to temptations I face, all too often, my response would have to be, no, I can't resist. Therefore, I must pray for His protection. Lead me not into temptation. When I'm not hanging out with everybody else singing worship songs, and I'm all alone, I should be just as eager to see His name hallowed and His kingdom come as I am when I'm sitting here singing worship songs. But I can't do that unless He provides His provision, His pardon, and His protection. Church, we need this every day. We need to be crying out, would you give us our daily bread? Would you, would you forgive our sins and those we've trespassed and sinned against? Would you lead me not into temptation? If I run that way today, your name is not going to be hallowed. Your kingdom will not advance. And then we move on to the number five. And this we're going to camp out for a few, few longer minutes. How much time do I have and how long have I been? The the fifth truth is we're to ask with sanctified persistence. We're to ask with sanctified persistence. Jesus tells a story in the next five verses, verses 5 to 10. He tells a story that's meant to be absurd. He's about to describe something that would never happen in biblical times because in biblical times, hospitality was a sacred duty. Whenever a guest or a friend would arrive, the host was obligated to provide a meal for them. Travel was hard, and there were few Marriott's, P.F. Chang's, Chipotle's. Ate there yesterday. It's one of my favorite restaurants. Waffle House, where you're guaranteed to take up smoking cigarettes when you leave. Because you say, why not? I smoke five in there on my breakfast. Huh? <laughs> Is that a problem? <laughs> no, Jim. <laughs> Bread was a big deal in those days. It was the knife and the fork and the spoon with which, which the meal was eaten. And so the guy in our story, he has a guest that arrives at midnight. That's not a very nice time for a guest to arrive. He's got to find some bread. And so he goes to the Super Walmart and the Rite Aids and the the 7-Elevens, and, and there's no bread anywhere. And so he, he goes to his neighbor's place, and he pounds on the door. And listen, this is what's happening. He's making a reasonable request at a crazy hour. Okay? A reasonable request at a crazy hour. Okay? Um, at, it's midnight. I don't know about you, but I don't do very well at midnight. I don't do very well at midnight or 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 
uh, five I could start to do well maybe by then. But my children have learned that that um, that wrath still remains if you go to that side of the bed in the middle of the night. I, I've I've tried for years and I think I'm doing better. But if you go to my side of the bed and you got an issue at two in the morning, it's not going to be pleasant. So they typically and and. Like literally sometimes I've just sought the Lord on this and I think I'm moving in the right direction, but I, I'm, I'm just like a grizzly that's being awakened from hibernation when you, when you want to ask me something at two in the morning. Uh, it, it's just not pleasant. But this guy is being awakened and it's midnight and there's people that arrived and they're, they're hungry. I mean, just think if someone calls you says, we're just, we're on our way, we're coming over, we're going to be there in about a half an hour, and it's 2.30 in the morning, and they want you to whip out a meal. Anybody happy right now just thinking about that? I mean, this is, this is it's, it's absurd. The, the neighbor is already in bed, so when he's awake and he tells the guy looking for bread to get lost four different ways. Not one, not two, not three, four. Listen what he says. He says in verse 7, don't bother me. The door is now shut. That's two. My children are with me in bed. Three, I cannot get up and give you anything. I mean, not once, not twice, four times he's telling the guy to get lost. Okay? Now, that would have been more than enough for me to walk away and try another neighbor or try someone else. Say, hey, we're starving. Could you let us crash there for the night? But instead, this guy does not take no for an answer. And so we don't get a lot of details here, but what we do know is that this guy's boldness wins. Verse 8 tells us, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now listen, this word impudent is to be shamelessly presumptuous. Shamelessly presumptuous. The Greek word refers to someone who acts without sensibility to shame or disgrace. <laughs> this guy is coming and saying, I'm hungry, and what he's getting back is, get lost, I'm in bed and I have nothing to give you. He's acting without sensibility to shame or dis disgrace. He's shamelessly presumptuous. He's saying, we just got here, we're hungry, could you open the door? I mean, there's, there's not dropping hints here. There's boldly and shamelessly presenting his position to his petition to his neighbor. I think that we don't do this very often in our prayer times, do we? I don't know about you, but do you find yourself very often being shamelessly presumptuous before the Lord, acting without sensibility to shame or disgrace? No, we we want to we want to box it right. We want to say it right. We want to be very careful how we do things. So, so we don't offend the, the party. Now, before you're wondering where this text is going, just a side note. What Jesus is not saying here in this text is that God is like the surly neighbor who gets angry when we come to him at midnight. What Jesus is doing is he's making a contrast to show us that God, who is our heavenly Father, is nothing like this guy. And if this guy would get up and give his friend bread, how much more 
will your heavenly Father hear and give us what we plead for. Again, Philip Ryken says, prayer is not a way of getting God to do what we want or of persuading him to do something that he does not want to do. But prayer is is an audaciously bold request. Listen to this. Audaciously bold request for God to do what he has promised to do. I think sometimes why we think our prayers aren't being answered is because we're starting with ourselves and we got a lot of things to pray about for ourselves rather than starting with Him as our Father. And we want His name to be hallowed. That's why we exist. That's why Jesus saved us. And we want His kingdom to come. And we need His provision and we need His pardon and we need His protection to have that happen. And when we are praying for His name to be hallowed and His kingdom to come in our lives, we can come shamelessly and presumptuous. We can come and act uh, without sensibility to shame or disgrace. And we can say, Jesus, we need You to do what You've promised to do among us so that the world could look and see truly the Lord is in this place and among us. Leon Morris says the lesson of this parable is we must not play at prayer, but we must show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. How many times have you prayed for your neighbor and are you done? I've had other neighbors come to events and it didn't end out, it didn't turn out so good and they've moved on and I don't, I don't know where they're at. They didn't come to know Jesus Christ. I prayed for them just as much. We must not play at prayer, but we must show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. It is not that God is unwilling and must be pressed to answer. The whole context makes it clear that He is eager to give. But if we do not want what we're asking for enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. Oh, how often in my prayer, I don't want it very much. Recently in our church, we had a young couple that went on their, she was five months pregnant, four months pregnant, routine checkup. One doctor does the ultrasound and they run more tests and bring another doctor in. Pretty soon there's like five or six doctors with specialists. And they said, we have really bad news for you. Do you see all this shading? said, your baby is, is going to be born severely. They gave it a name, severely mentally, mentally and physically handicapped. Would you like to abort your baby? It's, it, we looked up the name on the internet and it's, it's just not a pleasant thing. Our church just rose up. People were gathering in homes and calling out to God. God, please have mercy. We know that you can do all things and you may choose in your sovereign will not to heal this baby, but that's up to you. 
what's up to us is that we're supposed to come and be shamelessly presumptuous. And so we're calling out, we're crying out. And until that baby's born, if it's born physically and mentally handicapped, then we'll embrace that and we'll, we'll continue to pray and, and you'll have your way and your will. But Lord, we're going to pray, have mercy on this baby and would you heal it? Two months later, she goes back in for another routine checkup and they marched back in, all of these doctors, with one doctor with tears in her eyes and said, I'm so sorry that I'd said those things to you. And in the m- middle between that, they had downloaded a whole bunch of stuff from Piper on, on ha- uh, uh, children with disabilities and they were saying, Lord, we know you can heal our baby, but if you choose not to, we'll praise you and we'll love you and we'll love this child. And, and they go in for this checkup and they, they experience that this, this doctor says with tears in her eyes, there's no more shading and your baby is perfectly healthy. If we do not want what we're asking for enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. I wonder what the Lord wants to do in Greenville with a group of people that want it very much. See, life is just, life just pulls us to every different direction, doesn't it? We get busy with stuff and we forget so quickly that it was really meant to be about loving Him as our Father and hallowing His name and seeing His kingdom come. We shift so quickly from that. In verse 9, He tells us to ask, seek, and knock. And all of these words are action words and they're moving in a direction that's with this more serious intention. Luke isn't telling us, why don't you ask once? Why don't you seek once? Why don't you knock once? But he's saying, rather keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. When we pray as Jesus teaches us to pray, he promises to answer and he assures us in this text, he assures us six times that he will hear us. That, this is just crazy. Look at this, six times. Verse 9, um, and I tell you, ask, and what will happen when you ask? He'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock. Okay, verse 10, for everyone who asks, receives. To him who seeks, to him who knocks, it will be open. <laughs> not once, not twice. What he tells us six times, he'll do it. Now these promises are for everyone who comes to him shamelessly, presumptuously, saying, Lord, we know who you are. We know you can do anything. And in your will, you might choose to do nothing right now but we're going to cry out to you and we're going to trust you and we're going to believe you. Well, he moves the last few verses in verses 11 to 13. Jesus ends with two more stories. 
and he begins with two more stories regarding family life. He begins with earthly fathers. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Once again, this is an absurd story. It's, it's every day we feed our children. Is there anyone in here that hasn't been feeding your children lately? Yeah, I'm, I've just had, I've had, have you ever had like a bad attitude at one of your children because they have a bad attitude? Yeah, I do that quite often. It's just like you're, you're, you're bumming me out and, and I'm, you know, and I can just think my, my 10-year-old Sam, he comes in the house, he's been playing all morning and, and I'm going to make him a PBJ sandwich and I got a little jar of scorpions. And I do a sandwich and I stick two scorpions in there. There, take that. Sure hope that thing lands on your tongue and swells you up so big you can't eat again in your life. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be ridiculous. I think you're getting it. I mean, it's, it's just absurd. We, you, can, you can be just... You could be just a a bad dude and having a bad day, and you you're still gonna feed your kids. I mean, feeding some of them for like it seems like an eternity. It's like, would you leave and get married? <laughs> Broke. I mean, you know, the, my boys they just about ate me right out of house and home. We we're we were like needing to go and say, if you don't give us a raise, we're not even gonna make it here because just eat, eat. They just eat all the time. I, but even in, you know, they come in and they clean out the cupboard. And even like when I'm thinking like, why do you need to eat so much? And never once that I, that's it. I'm putting locks on all these and they're never going to eat, never going to eat again. See, Jesus is speaking of our intimate, he's speaking of his intimate knowledge of our total depravity. He knows we're capable of doing some good. Even those who don't know Jesus Christ are capable of doing some good. That's called common grace. I know some pretty good parents in my neighborhood that really love their children and really take care of them. We know we we all probably know little stories of of neglect and, and children that haven't been cared for. And what happens inside you when you hear that story? What's Jesus' point here? He's saying, if you give good gifts to your children and you're evil, you can certainly trust your heavenly Father. And then there's a twist here, to give you the best gift of all. Now, where we've been going with this whole thing, it seems like this is just off a little bit. The best gift of all. All along, he's been talking about meeting our physical needs but now he shifts, and this is my sixth and final truth. God gives his spirit to those who ask. Now, where did that come from? How much more, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. The Father will give us Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. What He's saying is, 
This is a beautiful picture here of the one God in three persons. We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit in this picture. And, and we, what we see is that the Holy Spirit is, is to be worshipped with the Father and the Son. So when Jesus promises that the Father will give us His Spirit, what He's promising is that God will give us Himself. He'll come and He'll live with us. He'll enable us to pray this way so that His name will be hallowed and His kingdom will come. See, praying makes no sense without this gift because God will not hear us without this gift. He is not everyone's Father. But because of the Holy Spirit who has come into our hearts and has put on the light and showed us Jesus Christ and our need for Jesus Christ, now all of a sudden everything's changed. God is not our Father without the Holy Spirit. Listen, we can't understand Scripture. We don't understand the truth about God and about Jesus Christ. There's no conviction of sin. There's no gift of faith to believe. There's no gift of repentance. There's no understanding of the Gospel. There's no salvation. There's no justification. There's no sanctification. There's no adoption. There's no victory over sin. There's no empowerment for ministry. There's no fruit of the Spirit for godliness. There's no assurance of future glory and eternal life after death. No. There is nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. And listen, church. Ephesians 5.18 tells us don't get drunk, drunk on wine where is in excess, but instead be filled. And that be filled is be continually filled. Oh, I believe at conversion when the Spirit came, He awakened our heart to Jesus Christ. But I believe as well that I'm, I'm prone to wander and I leak. And I need again freshly every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to want to see His kingdom come and His will be done. I won't pray for His provision or His pardon or, or protection. I won't see that I'm needy and dependent. I won't pray presumptuously. I won't pray with, with, with get out of my way. I just, I just want to come to my Father and I want to cry out to Him. I won't do any of those things apart from the Holy Spirit. And so I need to be freshly filled again. How about you this morning? We need to be filled afresh this morning so that we will be these people that will pray this way. There's no hallowing His name. There's no participating in the advancement of the Gospel. There's no awareness of our need and dependence. There's no sanctified boldness. There's no prayer without the Holy Spirit. And so I close with this quote from J.C. Ryle. He says, The Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift that God can bestow upon man. Having this gift... We have all things. Life, light, hope, and heaven. Having this gift, we have God, the Father's boundless love. God, the Son's atoning blood, and full communion with all three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Having this gift, we have grace and peace in the world that now is glory and honor in the world to come. As we close this morning, I want to close by us praying together 
that God would give us more of the Holy Spirit. That He would come this morning and fill us afresh with His Spirit. Why? Not so that we can pray that we would never have another trial. Not so that we could pray that things would go smoothly and wonderfully in our lives. No, so that we could pray with eyes wide open to our Father. His name would be hallowed. His kingdom would come. He would provide all that we need to do that. Provision, pardon, and protection. And that I would live constantly needy and dependent. Let's pray. Why don't we stand together? Can we stand and pray? I I want to encourage you as I pray to just go ahead and ask Him and call out to Him as we pray together. Father, You just told us to ask. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Because you have saved us, we we can come to you this morning as our Father. And if there's some in this room this morning that can't come to you as Father because they've not... Spirit, you have not awakened their hearts to the glories of Jesus Christ. I pray you do that right now. But for those who you have, we ask that you would come and you would fill us afresh with more of your Spirit. Lord, we cannot cannot pray this way and we cannot live this way apart from being continually filled with your Spirit. So come this morning and fill us afresh that we might walk in a manner worthy of Your great name. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.